0: My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you are listening to episode 145. Oh my goodness, 145. We are coming up on a milestone of 150, but you are listening to episode 145 of the Sustainable Minimalist podcast. On this week's show, we are discussing the local movement. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, what? Didn't we just cover that? The answer is no, my friends. A few weeks back, we discussed the small movement. The show was called... Ethical Alternatives to Amazon, and it was episode number 140, if you missed it. But this week, we are discussing the importance of keeping your money local. Now, local buying and small buying, they can be synonymous, right? But they are not necessarily. For most people, and for perhaps you too, their entry point into the local movement tends to start with food. And food is a great place to start, right? That's where I started. Because buying local food that was grown in your locale is an investment into your community's future. By supporting local farmers today, you're helping to ensure that there will be farms in your community tomorrow. And when you support local farms and local fisheries and local farm stands, you are standing up against the potential of tomorrow's food insecurity. On today's show, I am speaking with Jillian Dayhill. She is the brain behind theecomamas.com. And Jillian is on the show to discuss the practicalities behind the local food movement, namely, how on earth she eats local in the winter? Like, what the heck? They're still on the ground. How does that even work? Jillian is going to break it down for us. But Julian is also on the show for a second reason, and that is to encourage me and you to expand our views on buying local from food to everything. So, not just necessities, non necessities too, like art and home decor and clothing and heck, even flowers, right? I am making the bold statement here and now that most of us listening today can find a local item that satisfies all our needs, and all of our wants. Today's show is split into two parts, or I like to say two acts. Act one is all about local food. It's about the how, the why, and the where of eating locally 365 days a year. In act two of today's show, Jillian and I are expanding the conversation to local everything, We hone in in our conversation on art and home decor, but please know that part two of today's show is meant to broaden our shopping habits, or perhaps actually I should instead say narrow our shopping habits, so that looking within our own communities becomes our first thought when we need to buy something, not our afterthought. Enjoy the interview. Jillian, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to chat with me today. How are you?
1: I am great. How are you?
0: I'm great. I must say I'm so excited to talk to somebody from my home state of Massachusetts. You live pretty close to me, and I think that's so amazing because usually I'm talking to people from all over the world, but I love somebody from my own backyard. Introduce yourself to my listeners. Who are you and what do you do?
1: Sure. Um, I'm Jillian Dayhill, and I started a blog called The Eco Mamas. uh, And the idea is we're trying to make a community for mothers and parents that's more eco-friendly and that really breaks down the barrier of sustainability and makes it more doable. And I'm so excited to really just bring an opportunity to parents to be more eco-friendly in such a busy world.
0: So I know you're a mom. Walk me through what challenges you were having in your own home, in your own life, in your own family with regards to being eco-friendly and being a parent. What struggles were you facing that you want to fix for others?
1: well it and it's really it is it's a struggle right so you know as parents we're so busy we're pulled in so many different directions by kids and work and more recently homeschooling on top of it all so when you see the news about climate change and you see the fires on the west coast or the increasing frequency and intensities of hurricanes and floods sometimes it creates more fear than action and so what i was struggling with was i was always so concerned about it and it was always living in like my chest of anxiety but i didn't really know what to do about it like where do you start how do you interject it into your whole life that already feels so overwhelming so when i started to really think about this blog as an opportunity to break down that barrier, I started to learn so much myself. Um, And we were really struggling with just buying too much. Like, I just kept buying and I felt like I just kept getting into the cycle of overconsuming. And that's where I really was like, I would love to not only stop for myself and find out other ways of being more eco-friendly, but also provide that for parents that feel the same way I did.
0: I think you touched on a lot of really common struggles and challenges that people have. You mentioned having anxiety about climate change and I think that's very real for so many parents, you know, because our kids are going to be of age when <laughs> when the, if the scientists are right. And so I think a lot of us want to do something, but we just don't know what, if that makes sense. So thank you so much for putting your blog out there and providing a resource for parents just like you and me. One of the big topics that you discuss on your site, and one of the topics that I want to talk to you about today, is of course the importance of supporting your local community, the the local movement. So before we get into your tips about how and why and where and when tell me how do you shop locally
1: you know great question and um and for me local isn't just about you know supporting local businesses but it's really largely about the food we eat and so for me and my family we really try to look at how what we eat and understand the story behind it and make that part of our lives as eating more locally. Um, Not only is it healthy for the planet, but it's so healthy for our kids. So that's my real primary goal in sustainability is, especially more recently during the pandemic, is to find ways to eat more locally. Um, So we grow lots of vegetables and fruits in our backyard, which is a fun way to bring kids into the whole conversation about how you grow foods, how they use resources, um, and how important it is to put in all that work and eat what you grow. Um, We also do a lot of farmer's markets. We're big fans of the one here in Hingham and in Braintree. And we go to the farmer's markets, but we also Do a farmers market delivery service, which really makes it easier for us because, you know, we have three kids, we've got nap schedules, we've got activities, we've got family time, and that helps us eat local and fit it into our busy schedules. Eating more locally from the farmers in and eating seasonally um, for what they have, you know, what's growing this time of year, and then what's in our backyard.
0: I should definitely say that you and I are so privileged to have a variety of healthy, organic food options available to us where we live. And I know that for many people in many parts of this country, in this world, that's not an option. Um, it's an option for us, and we're really lucky for that. But my big question here, and this is something I struggle with living in Massachusetts, is What on earth are you doing for those seven months of the year where nothing's growing?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. People ask me that all the time, especially when I'm talking composting. It's like, well, you're in New England and you're in Massachusetts. What do you do during those really cold months where you can't get outside? And I'll tell you. Our garden actually goes from April to November, so that's eight months out of the year, um, and, it's, and we're harvesting from it. And the local farmer's markets are usually about May, and they go right up to November. So there's, I think there's a, a misconception sometimes that the farmer's markets only go during the summer, but they don't. They they're actually go for most of the half of the year at least. Also, there's a lot of farms and farm stands that um, if you do a little bit more research, which is a little bit more inconvenient, but if you do the research, they do a lot of greenhouse growing. So that can be one way of trying to be more local with your foods during the winter. But also the grocery stores, they actually are doing a pretty good job of starting to look for more local options. Your local radius might be growing. It might not be a town over, but maybe it's within the state or a state over, as opposed to being imported globally. So doing a little a little navigating through your produce sections, you'll find, like, for instance, little leaf lettuce grows all their greens indoors. So that will go all year long. Um, And so looking for those types of brands and foods can help you sail through those months where you're right, there isn't so much growing outside anymore.
0: Yeah, your answer makes me just think about how 100 years ago, maybe I'll say maybe 150 years ago, humans were not shipping their fruits from South America in January (laughs) to Massachusetts, right? So they figured out how to eat despite snow being on the ground. And it's really just not rocket
1: science, right? Right. And what's also important is, you know, maybe you're not eating, like you said, strawberries in an off month. So not just looking for what you can get locally, but also shopping in season. Right now, for instance, even in seafood, your options could be swordfish instead of something that's out of season or right now we're at the end of grape season. So load up on those grapes now and that's way you're looking at what's actually in season and it can be grown more locally to you.
0: Yeah, going off that strawberry example, right, like here where we live, strawberries are plentiful in June, June, June or July, I don't know, June into July. (laughs) And so I think that preserving really has a place in the local movement too, because when those strawberries are ripe, it's fun and (laughs) enjoyable to go and pick as many as you can and then freeze them or bake with them and then freeze what you bake so that's an interesting connection that I never really thought of before It's, it's like preserving food is a really great way to extend local principles would you agree with that
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and that's a great point. Um, we even will freeze our herbs, our lettuce, our spinach, you know as you know you can get two or three more months out of using your freezer and that's a great example of being more resourceful when it comes to creating length out of the local foods and that's likely where you can really manage your own own waste as well because so many produce are so close to being expired or wilted. And it's great to be able to use them when you freeze them and keep that going.
0: One of the biggest personal benefits that I have found to eating local food is that local food tends to taste way better, in my opinion, than anything that is coming from thousands of miles away. Have you experienced that yourself? And Are there any other benefits to committing to eating locally that you've experienced?
1: Oh, absolutely. Eating local tastes better. There's no question. It's better quality. It tastes so delicious. I mean, I love tomatoes from my backyard. I could just pop, eat them all day. Um, But even when you're talking not just produce, but even meats, from sustainable farming and local farming, tastes so much better. And while we should be eating less meat, for those families that need that haven't gotten there just yet, um, eating local sustainable meat really is so tastes so much better. But it's not just better; it's healthier for your family because there's a lot of toxins that go into industrial agriculture and producing large-scale um, farming that is that, that are harmful, like pesticides, hormones, antibiotics, even petroleum-based fertilizers. That does get into the food. So if you're getting things local from sustainable organic farming, you're saving your children and your family so much of that. Um, so it tastes better and it's healthy for your family and it's good for the planet. So it's really such a win on so many levels to go local with your foods.
0: I have found in my own life and in my own kitchen that cooking with local foods and local flavors really makes my cooking seem better than it is. I'm not a particularly amazing cook, but I think you know the famous chefs would agree with me that when you start with really great tasting ingredients <laughs> it it takes work off the chef because it's gonna taste good if you start with what's what's tasty. Have you found
1: that? yes, it's so much so and you know when you you travel if you go to Italy or you go somewhere where they they do they f- take what's out back in the in their yards and they bring it into the kitchen and they cook with it it just I don't know if it's when you're just in Italy but you it does taste so much better because it's directly from their yard um, or their 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 vegetable gardens just like when you like you were saying it just tastes better it makes it makes the experience so much better and you know when you're always using fresh local vegetables in-season ingredients it's going to make your dish so much better and sometimes it's fun too because you'll be making a dish and you might not have something but you'll grab it from your backyard and it you know maybe you were you needed one thing and you grab the basil instead and and it tastes so much better you know and you, you open more open-minded to trying different things as well So I always find it fun to cook with all the things that are in our backyard or that we got at the farmer's market that week.
0: Do you ever get kind of bored with the same ingredients, cooking with the same ingredients? Because, and I'm going to use an example from my own life. My daughters and I, we love avocados. We live for avocados. But every time I buy one from the grocery store, I feel increasing amounts of guilt because avocados don't grow here in Massachusetts. I know they're coming from <laughs> another continent. But but we still like them. So I'm wondering, do you have any instances like that in your own life and if so, how do you how do you rectify
1: it? Um yeah, you know, that's the thing about being eco-friendly. You you try hard and you do what you can. And then sometimes you you can't, maybe there's not a specific option. And that's when sometimes it's okay to have one thing or two things that maybe you like to use and it doesn't necessarily meet all the sustainability checkpoints. So you do what you can. And that's really what is important about the environmental movement right now, is, it's a little bit more compassionate than I think it used to be where it's saying, hey, we all need to do the best we can and we need to be not perfect. But we if we all try and we all are working towards being more sustainable and less wasteful, then that's better than just a handful. You've probably heard that quote, um, a few people, a handful of people doing zero waste perfectly. We need more. We need a million people doing zero waste Imperfectly, and that's an important point in my blog. Is we're trying, everyone's trying, and we can we can't always be perfect. But then there's also times where you can find an alternative that maybe is not the same, but kind of scratches that same itch. Um, so, for instance, with you know our family, we love to. Have chocolate, <laughs> and that's not exactly the most eco-friendly. Actually, it's got a large carbon footprint. So, you know, sometimes do we eat it? Of course, we don't not eat chocolate, but we also look for alternatives in maybe a local local market that doesn't have the same impacts. Um, but I think the important point is sometimes there might not be a perfect alternative, and if we're working towards a more eco-friendly life generally then sometimes you're going to have moments where you're not eco-friendly and that's okay as long as we're all as long as we're all trying to be less impactful on the environment the best we can
0: yes i totally agree and i think a big part about eco-friendly living is just having a bit of knowledge and a bit of consciousness surrounding choices Thinking about your chocolate and my avocados, to be completely honest with you, seven or 10 years ago, I never would have even thought or probably even cared about where my avocados were coming from. But the journey of becoming more eco-friendly and the aspirations of trying to create a more sustainable household, I might buy an avocado once in a while, but the consciousness around it is there so that I can now think, well, do I need this avocado or do I need this chocolate bar or can I buy an alternative?
1: Exactly. And it's like, if you can kind of have that as your process, then you're in the right, you're in the right place when you're thinking about your household and its impact on the environment. Hmm.
0: I am going to ask you all about supporting local artisans and buying local art. We're going to move away from food and into another purchasing realm after a quick word from this week's sponsor. The Sustainable Minimalist podcast is supported by Forager Project. Forager is a family-owned, 100% organic, plant-based food company dedicated to improving the health of both humans and the planet. Their hero ingredient, organic cashews, creates the creamiest base for its yogurts, kefirs, and sour cream. My daughters love their yogurts. My daughters are partial to the vanilla. I'm a bit more partial to the strawberry. As a mom, I am thrilled that Forager's yogurts contain all the probiotic goodness of traditional yogurt without the dairy, and as an aspiring plant-based chef, I appreciate that Forager offers dozens of vegan recipes for free on their website. Forager Project believes in the importance of a healthy democracy, and so they have shifted their packaging to say, vote on November 3rd, to inspire Americans to vote in the upcoming presidential election. Forager also has voting resources and information for you at www.foragerproject.com forward slash vote and on social media at Forager Project. The Sustainable Minimalist Podcast is also sponsored by Blisoma. Blisoma does things differently than most of the cosmetics industry because their estheticians create holistic and botanical skincare made from vitamins, omega fatty acids, herbs, and essential oils, not hard-to-pronounce ingredients, petrochemicals, or synthetics. Blisoma is the real deal when it comes to ethical business practices, too. Zero ingredients lack safety data, are tested on animals, or are harmful to skin or body. Their products come in glass bottles, too, and their production studio is 80% solar-powered. I have been using the Sustain line for two months now, and I am a huge fan of their five-star rated mild rice facial cleanser. There are no microbeads to be found in there. Instead, it is rice that gently exfoliates and cleanses. Head over to Blissoma.com, that's b-l-i-s-s-o-m-a.com, and enter code MINIMAL at checkout for 20% off Sustain ecosystem products. We're going to transition now into talking about how to find local art and perhaps even finding some local home decor instead of, you know, going to Wayfair or going to my old favorite, which was Crate and Barrel, seeking out local everything, not necessarily just food. I'm wondering, what tips do you have for us when we take our local mindset that most of us tend to start with food and then applying that local mindset to other things that we need to acquire.
1: When when I think of local, um I don't just mean like you said food, it's everything. And when I mean locally in in my definition of living locally, it's about a radius around where you live. And trying to maintain your life and your livelihood within that space because we've become such a big global economy. So like you said, when you order on Wayfair, you don't know where it's being manufactured and shipped and shipped from um, and the packaging that it comes in. So when you live more locally, for instance, you might find a piece of artwork that you love and you either go through the artist or you go through the store. And that person may have actually brought that piece of art directly to the store to give to you. And I think there's something special in that. And what it's not doing is it doesn't have all the same shipping carbon footprints and packaging. And it's not coming from China or overseas. It's coming from somewhere around where you live. And not only are you supporting That process, which is way less impactful on the environment, but you're also supporting that that local artist and that will in turn support your community. So when you think about local, you can think about it as you're trying to use less of a carbon footprint on anything you buy, whether it's art or food or flowers. It could be anything that you have to make a purchase on coffee even. So it's important to think more locally as we start to talk about the conversation of climate change and reducing our impact and our own carbon footprint, because it's so easy to take on your phone, scroll and make a few clicks. And then all of a sudden there's a major impact to the environment just from that few seconds on your phone.
0: When it comes to art, especially, or home decor or, you know, anything that we don't have to bring into our house, but choose to because it speaks to us because we love it. It really brings up the distinction that when we choose to bring local items into our homes, it's really also kind of a display of community pride.
1: Would you agree with that? I do. Yes. It's so special to have something with a story. Um, I recently found an artist that I really needed, a, I, well, I didn't need, but I really wanted a piece of art over our fireplace. And so I contacted her and I said, you know, I really love your artwork. And she told me a whole story about how she got started and why she now does this particular art form. And, you know, now when I look at it, it's something that I talk about and it has this entire story with it. And I think the more we can tell the story about our things and our, our foods and the way our life is, it just shows the traceability of everything, um, and it means so much more than maybe something that got mass-produced and doesn't have that that story that you can tell.
0: I totally can relate to that. I, a few years back, wanted a set of mugs, and it's always kind of been this – frivolous dream of mine to have some handmade mugs for my coffee and my my mother-in-law purchased me four for Christmas and then I contacted this artist who was local to us and purchased four more and the act of corresponding with the person whose hands made these mugs made me or and continues to make me appreciate them so much more than if I had just gone to Crate and Barrel and bought eight perfectly beautiful mugs that were also mass produced. So there's like an extra human quality there, I think, that we might be losing in today's big boxed store culture. I don't know. What do you think about that?
1: It's true. And I had posted on my Instagram, a great quote from the founder of Patagonia, um, Yvonne Chouinard. And he says, going back to a simpler time is not a step backward. And I love that quote so much because it's true. It's like, it's not a step backwards. It's a step forward even. It adds so much value and importance to everything we do when it's something like that example of the mugs, and you know who made them and you talk to the artisan and even the story that your mother-in-law got you the four and then you went and got the other four and that that just adds so much value to our lives. Um, and sometimes I feel like this more box store, you would never even talk about the mugs. It would just be the mugs.
0: Mm, right. <laughs> On your website, you mentioned that when it comes to finding the the items, finding the art, finding the decor, you say to follow the hashtags. And I love this. Can you explain that for my listeners, please? Follow the hashtags?
1: Yes, follow the hashtags. Yeah, that was a fun post um, with a local store here, Elburn Home Decor. They really focus on local artisans and showcasing and selling local artwork from from The area that we live in, Massachusetts, and more specifically down in the Cape, too. So, when I was, I asked them, I said, What is a good tip for local art to find local art? What is a good tip to find local art? And they said, Well, now it's all about following the hashtags because local artisans, especially right now during the pandemic, are having a hard time getting their art out there. They've been using social media a lot more to connect. Directly with the clients or the or the consumers, and so they will hashtag their location hashtag Boston artists or hashtag Cape Cod art um, or hashtag you know Manhattan artisans or wherever your local is, and you can go to the hashtag and you start scrolling and see all this gorgeous art. And so when I started following the Boston artist hashtag, all of a sudden my Instagram feed was just so much more beautiful and all these colors and these different types of art that I had I never would have found if I was just looking on our typical, you know, example Crate and Barrel website or even in some of the stores I go to, it just wouldn't have been probably the my first impression first look for artwork. But it has been really fun to follow the hashtags.
0: I love that idea. I love that response. And what really speaks to me about following the hashtags is that it is a strategy that puts the action and the power on the consumer, right? Because so often in the 21st century, these big companies, they are inserting themselves and Our lives, right? They have the budgets, they have the marketing teams to put their ads inside our perfectly curated news feeds. They are blasting one ad to us over a period of time because that will increase the chances that we buy. And so when we buy in that way, when we respond to ads, we are passive consumers. But when we are actively following hashtags and actively seeking out not just what we want, but what we need and what really speaks to our souls, the consumer then has the power. So that is such a great strategy. And thank you for sharing it. Our time is almost up. So tell us, Jillian, where can my listeners find you and find your community online?
1: Great. Yes. Come find us. Uh, You can find the Eco Mamas at at the Eco Mamas, M-A-M-A-S for the Mamas. And you can find us at www.theecomamas.com. And we'd love for you to come join us and follow us along as, um, I really get going on showcasing more sustainable ways of living.
0: I have so enjoyed this conversation, Jillian. Thank you so much.
1: Great, Stephanie. And thank you for having me. I was so excited to talk today about a local and like-minded topic. I so hope
0: you enjoyed that interview with Jillian Dayhill over at theecomamas.com. I have linked to her. I have linked to everything we discussed in this week's show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash one four five. On next week's show, we are discussing the connections between climate change and human health and buckle up. It's a big one. I will see you then. Have an amazing week. Stay home, stay healthy. Thank you so much for all those Apple podcast reviews that keep rolling in. I appreciate you and I love you. Take care.